Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right, we are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Uh, just up front here on this Wednesday afternoon pod, recording this solo today. Eddie Garrison's still out, and that is why. Uh, I'm going to go solo. Uh, Colts and Titans coming up Sunday afternoon. Matt Ryan on the call here, as we discussed a little bit on Monday's podcast. So the line obviously changed a little bit since the Jonathan Taylor news came out earlier this week. That will be a big chunk of our podcast today. I do want to get into a playoff picture look. I mean, I I, I think it's time. I think uh, um, you know, six to go, and you know when you're six and five, and you look at the playoff odds and how they can fluctuate with each game the rest of the way. Um, I think it's time that we start to look at that. So uh, we'll certainly do that on today's podcast. And then again, take a closer look at this matchup. A lot's changed since week five when these two teams met. A lot of personnel on both sides of the ball. Very, very different. You know, you probably look at Tennessee as like this is the last ditch effort. And obviously they did a little selling at the trade deadline. And, you know, some Mike Vrabel rumors of exactly what will happen to him at the end of the year. And uh, they have now gone to Will Levis. Uh, here over the past few weeks, Levis certainly not played as well as kind of the miracle deep balls that he hit there in his opener. Um, been a little bit shaky here and inconsistent over the past few games. So uh, that'll be a storyline to watch on Sunday. So apologies again for any audio differences that maybe you guys feel based off what our normal listen is. We'll be back in studio with Eddie coming up on Monday. But let's obviously get into the news item of the week, and that is Jonathan Taylor. And the report that uh, James Boyd from The Athletic had of you know, Jim Irsay telling James that you know the hope is only two to three weeks um, for Jonathan Taylor to be out. Um, I'm going to try and insert our Will Carroll interview here later in the podcast, um, hand raised, that I, I hope I do it successfully. But um, basically we had Will Carroll on, injury expert, um, that you know, is a guy that's been around a lot of baseball um, and just kind of medical uh, sports-related Injuries and health situations, and I thought he really detailed what this Taylor situation looks like much better than I can. So uh, Stephen Shen, the doctor, by all accounts, he's the guru. He's the hand guru. Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Drew Brees, Mike Trout. I mean, that's quite a who's who of. I, I, I'd qualify those guys as they have important hands, and so um, by all accounts, this is this is the dude to go to. Um, And I think it'll be interesting, probably a bit nerdy medically, but certainly it'll be interesting to hear, um, you know, Will kind of get into the nitty gritty of exactly what Taylor's going to be going through here uh, in his surgery. And then, of course, over the next couple of weeks. But uh, basically what Shane Steichen confirmed today is this. Taylor's going to miss time. It was the right hand, so the right thumb. Um, And it sounds like, even though Steichen didn't say this, it sounds like this occurred during the first quarter. Uh, Colts Radio, Larry Overton had a report early second quarter of Taylor getting the right hand kind of heavily wrapped, heavily taped hand wrist area. It, it's funny. You, you go back and you watch the rest of the game. I don't notice, you know, a, a difference in like definition over the right hand versus the left hand um, for the rest of the game. Obviously though, in that second quarter, he only carried it one time 
And I think there were some questions. I'm, uh, I'm looking down. I'm like, wait, you know, he's next to DeAndre Smith. He's got his helmet on. Uh, DeAndre Smith being the running backs coach. So it didn't seem like he was getting heavy attention after the taping or the or the wrapping of that hand. But nonetheless, he barely carried it in the second quarter. And then, of course, had a great second half. And, again, you don't notice. I mean, maybe there's a grimace here late in the third quarter. I think some people, oh, did he hurt it? You know, kind of stretching for the goal line. But, again, by all accounts, this happened in the first quarter. And then something that the Colts really found out more and more about on Monday evening. Uh, you know, Shane did say basically the reason why this does not fall into the wrap it up, let's see if you can play with it sort of category is there's there would be major question marks about ball security and Taylor holding up in pass protection. So that's why they decided surgery was necessary. Again, not sure on how much time. Again, Ursay said the hope is two to three weeks. I did say that, you know, IR is not something that has been discussed um, or I, not under consideration right now. So I do think that's, you know, good news for this being in the two to three week territory. And they feel good about their running backs on the roster right now. So I don't think this is going to be something that you're going to see, you know, the need to go outside of the building uh, or anything like that. If you look at the schedule, and again, this kind of bleeds into our playoff chatter that I do want to get to here in just a second, but um, you know, if you look at the analytics sites out there and how much the playoff chances can fluctuate with a win or a loss, it's interesting to look at where the Colts are. Right now, 43% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, with the win over Tennessee, that would jump to 54%. With a loss, that would drop to 28%. Obviously, you know, you got to factor in, you know, other odds here um, with this. So it, it, if you look at the games the rest of the way and how much importance lies in this game, you'd probably slot it just behind the Houston season finale and then that Pittsburgh game coming up in a few weeks in terms of importance. Um, if you look at the uh, of the Houston, if you look at the, at the Houston game, you look at the Steelers game. Both those are north of thirty five percent in terms of the difference of what it would mean for a win, what it would mean for a loss. So the one bummer is if you look at the rest of the season and you weigh these final six games, and again in order, it goes Titans, Bengals, Steelers, Falcons, Raiders, Texans. Three of the top four most important are in this next three-week stretch. Two, three, four on that list. Um, now, Raiders is pretty close to being there as well. Uh, but basically, the Texans game is the most important, and that Falcons game on Christmas Eve is the least important. That Falcons game would be game number four, if you want to stretch it that far. But, um, it, you know, if Taylor's going to miss that Steelers game, that is, you know, a huge game on paper, and that would be game number three. Uh, could be a Saturday game. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait till Monday to kind of get official word on that, but with the playoff, you know, odds seemingly for both of those teams, you would think that would be a good Saturday candidate. So, um, again, Titans, Bengals, and then if you go to a third game for Taylor, it would be the Steelers. Um, you know, obviously, you guys have heard me talk about my overall running back philosophy before, and that's don't draft until the third round or don't draft until day three. Um, I'm such a believer that you know one to twenty-two, there is a hierarchy in positional value, and the draft should reflect that. And it's harder for the running backs to sustain longevity compared to other positions. So that's kind of why I view it in that light. So it's certainly one of the more replaceable positions. But 
it would be just naive of someone not to provide context around Taylor in that he's different. And, you know, it's funny, kind of exiting Sunday, you guys heard me talk about on Monday's podcast, didn't it feel like that was Taylor's best game? Like, I, I just thought that he looked like his old self, that there were several runs that I'm like, nope, there's not much there blocked. And the next thing you know, 28 wiggles his way through there, and, you know, he's off to get, whatever, five more yards, 10 more yards, something like that on a play that necessarily wasn't blocked like that. But, and I guess I might have lacked a little confidence in saying that, or I was kind of asking for reassurance from the audience because I like to have the evidence to back up what I say. I think you guys know I don't say shit just to kind of say it. So I want to make sure that there is some evidence to back it up. And it's not just the raw, you know, whatever, 15 carries for 91 yards. And I was looking actually after the podcast on Monday at the next gen stats. And I think you guys will have, you know, come across that, whether you, you know, peruse the internet or, you know, certainly you'll have seen those stats attributed in some way, shape, or form on different broadcasts of games. But there is a stat of of um, runs, rushing yards over expectation. And basically that means, you know, do you gain more or less than what is deemed expected of you on that play? And Taylor had the second highest percentage of anybody in the NFL last week. So that was evidence to me of like, okay, what was blocked for him? He went above and beyond. And again, that's what he does. And when you are limited as an offense right now from an individual playmaking standpoint and you have to overcome lackluster quarterback play, you need guys like that. And and so I think that's where the loss is felt. Um, Obviously, Zach Moss has been the bell cow. And he's, you know, probably the most ideal backup to have in the NFL right now. Um, I think it's worth noting that Moss's numbers with Gardner Minshew are a little bit less than they have been with Anthony Richardson. It's not a huge number. I think it's 0.6 yards per carry. But over the course of a game, you know, that can be meaningful. And we haven't really seen that, obviously, as of, you know, what, Taylor's played six straight games now? You know, you haven't seen Moss in that true, true bell cow role without Taylor splitting time and without Anthony Richardson. And I bring up Richardson because go back to the first meeting between these two teams. Colts bullied Tennessee, bullied them. They won in the offensive trenches. They shut down Derrick Henry. Now, again, personnel's changed a lot since week five. And if you go back to the big touchdown run by Zach Moss in that game, right at the middle, third and one, Colts go quick tempo. Anthony Richardson sticks it in his belly, and you got two Titans defenders. account for Richardson. And next thing you know, there's Moss up the middle in the open field, and he you know outruns everybody because – you know, that backside defender, and I think it was a safety as well, thought that Richardson was going to keep it there. So that's not going to be there, of course, at least to the effect that Richardson obviously brings. So, again, I'm curious kind of how does Moss look? I thought he looked really spry last week. I was asking about it today. You know, did you feel fresher? And, you know, he mentioned how Shane's kind of gone a little bit more walkthrough route here late in the season and – you know, obviously only had one carry in the game before the bye against New England and eight for 55 for Moss on Saturday or on Sunday. So I thought he looked good. Um, but yeah, in-house, you know, Trey Sermon will be the backup and you know, guys in your practice squad will be Tyler Goodson, an undrafted free agent from a couple years ago, an Iowa product. No word if he'll be partying with the Iowa crew Friday night downtown. Uh, and Xavier Scott, who made the position switch as an undrafted free agent in the offseason from wideout. I really liked the small snippets that I saw of him. So I would assume one of them gets the practice squad call up 
and then you'll roll with those three um, in the game. So it makes sense they wouldn't go, you know, outside of the building. I know Jake Funk is a free agent. Uh, Deion Jackson's on the Giants practice squad if you're looking for guys that have been on the roster this season. Um, so it's certainly a couple of things to keep an eye on moving forward. But, yeah, it's just it, it, it's such a what else can go wrong almost feel to the Taylor news, especially when he had just played his best game. And, and you do have, you know, a meaningful divisional game followed by two more AFC games. And that gets back to a kind of our playoff picture look at it. And I guess now's a good time to kind of. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Transition to the playoff look at it. Um, again, the Colts right now sit in seventh in the AFC. They've got the last wild card spot, thanks to having that conference tiebreaker. Well, first they have the head-to-head over Houston, who is also 6-5. and five. Uh, But that conference tiebreaker is so important. If you look at the AFC landscape right now, and it, let's slot the first four teams and say they're good to go. Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville, Miami. Let's say those four teams win their divisions. So then you go to the wild card. You got Pittsburgh at 7-4. You got Cleveland at 7-4. Obviously, Cleveland has a tiebreaker over you head-to-head. And then you'll get the opportunity with Pittsburgh here in a couple weeks. I mean, just a massive game. That cannot be a terrible towel game inside of Lucas Oil. I know it probably will be, but it, it, it cannot be that. And you got the Colts at 6-5 and five with that final playoff spot. Now, 8-9, and nine, both are 6-5 and five as well, Houston and Denver. But if you look, you've got the head-to-head over Houston, and obviously you'll play them to end the season, and that very well could be a win-or-get-in sort of game. But then you've got Denver there. And they're three and four in the conference. You're four and three. Now, Denver's remaining schedule is really tame, similar to yours, uh, similar to the Colts. Um, At Houston, the Chargers on the road, the Lions on the road. So they do have three straight on the road. Then they close with Patriots, Chargers, and at the Raiders. So I think there's an opportunity there for Denver to make some noise, more so based off their schedule than anything. Uh, Buffalo's at 6-6. Six and six. Again, they're 3-5 and five in the conference. They're on a bye, and they've got a brutal close. Cincinnati's 5-6. and six. They are 1-6 in the conference. Now, you'll see them a week from Sunday, and they'll be on a short week. Now, Pittsburgh will be on a little bit of a longer week off when they play you. Pittsburgh uh, is on Thursday Night Football next week, but Cincinnati's going to be on a shorter week. Um, and Cincinnati, I mean, that's just a must-win over Indy with that. And then I, I'll throw the Raiders on there. But again, they're five and seven. They're on their own bye, and they've got a lot of ground to make up. So I think the encouraging signs are this: that four and three conference record is really, really important. And if you can continue to add to that, that will be big in tiebreakers that don't involve a head-to-head. So that would be, you know, Buffalo. You don't play them head-to-head. That would be big. Denver. Uh, you don't play them head-to-head. That'll be big. Um, and then I think if you look at the current standings, it's just hard to ignore the games that matter. I mean, you're in seventh, and of your six remaining games, you play number five, Pittsburgh, number eight, Houston, number 11, Cincinnati, and number 12, Las Vegas. If you get three of those wins, that should definitely secure a playoff spot. And even two, especially if they're the right ones, like Pittsburgh and Houston, that should and could be enough as well. So this is an article form up on our website, 1075thefan.com. I'll update it every week with the odds and and kind of a breakdown of what's happened the week prior. But um, 
I definitely think that it's something that needs to be paid attention to here as we reach the back, I guess what, back six here of the season. All right, um, if I didn't say this on Monday, I guess I'll throw this in here on the Wednesday podcast. I think a lot of you have asked about, okay, that Pittsburgh game. You only have one home game between now and in the new year, and that's Pittsburgh either December 16th or 17th. So it's kind of like the Patriots game from a few years ago that got slotted into the Saturday night time slot. Uh, Minnesota last year, obviously a game to forget, but that got slotted into the 1 o'clock Saturday, Saturday time slot. The NFL's adopted this for a few few years now with the mid-December game, typically week 15, that they've taken that. All right, so basically what the NFL has said is you're going to have these five games. Three of them will go on Saturday. Two of them will go on Sunday. So the five games for week 15 are this. Bears-Browns, Vikings-Bengals, Broncos-Lions, Falcons-Panthers, Steelers, Colts. I look at those five games, and again, 1 o'clock, 4.30, 8.15, the three Saturday windows. I tend to think the Colts and Steelers would be on Saturday. I mean, Falcons, Panthers, really? I, I guess maybe Bryce Young, but still. Put that on Sunday. You know, the other ones, Bears and Browns, I guess the Bears are kind of lurking a little bit, and Fields is somewhat intriguing. So, you know, maybe that one. But if you're looking at both teams, playoff chances, et cetera, et cetera, the three to me are pretty obvious. Vikings, Bengals, Broncos, Lions, Steelers, Colts. Now, I, I get Chicago has the market, so maybe they would find their way in there. But, again, that should be official Monday or Tuesday, and we'll get word on that. But that'll be the Colts' next and lone home game here in the month of December. All right, let's play that Will Carroll interview. We'll slot that in here. Hopefully everything will sound fine on Again, the injury expert, uh, we got his insight. A little bit um, of Anthony Richardson at the tail end of this. Uh, but mainly, obviously, on Jonathan Taylor. So here's that Will Carroll. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Interview. All right, let's jump on out. Payless Liquors Hotline. Will Carroll, our injury expert, at Injury Expert. Uh, if you want to follow him on Twitter. Uh, Will, uh, number one, good morning. Number two, uh, quite the 20 minutes ago, you put quite the tease on Twitter. I mean, it's very professional. You, you wrote, Jonathan Taylor having surgery in L.A., uh, yet has a two- to three-week timeline, question mark. What do he and Aaron Rodgers have in common? And you said you were going to discuss with us. So let's start there and discuss yeah. that. What do they have in common? The, it's the brace that they're having. It's not exactly the similar, but it's developed by the same company, Arthrex, down in Florida. And you know, what we've seen is the ability to have this. It's basically it's called suture tape in one application, which will be for Taylor and his thumb. Uh, what Aaron Rodgers and Brock Bowers, the tight end from Georgia, had uh, uses tightrope, uh, which is basically just thicker. Uh, run of the material. So basically this really, really strong fibrous brace that they put in alongside repairing the ligament allows people to come back in almost literally half the time. Steve Shin, phenomenal doctor. You're right. Calling him the guy for hands. Yeah. He's done everybody who's had a hand injury. He really was involved in developing this surgery. And his technique is what everyone else 
uh, has, has really taken up. So it's gone from being an eight to 12 week injury to a three to four week injury. Wow. Two to three is a little aggressive. We saw Chris Paul come back in about four weeks. We saw Mike Trout come back. I was told he could have been back at three, but the angels are always conservative. So he came back at four. This is something that's going to be interesting to watch, but we just saw Bowers come back from a tightrope surgery in his high ankle in 26 days, the average time for the NFL, I, I don't have a good NCAA timeline for it, but the average time for a return in the NFL from that type of injury uh, is, is eight weeks. He did it in 26 days. Hmm. That is fascinating. Hmm. So are, are we looking at here, Will, this is more of a, a ball security, um, you know, is the hand strong enough yeah. to handle playing running back in the NFL like that, you know, because – I, I think the common theme yesterday when people hear thumb injury and they hear that Jonathan Taylor played multiple quarters with it, they just all automatically say, wrap it up, pad it up, play. Yeah. yeah uh, watch the tape. He's carrying it with his other hand. Uh, they were clearly running that direction. So it was on the outside. Um, you know, they, they ran a couple times to the, the opposite side and he cut back, I think knowingly or subconsciously. So yeah, it's completely about ball control. Uh, this injury happened because, man, when you're in those piles, when you get held up and they're trying to rip away the ball, they're punching the ball. Somebody must have, I'm sure not intentionally, but this is going to happen, just pulled his thumb back and that ligament couldn't handle it and snapped. It's common. That's how it happened to Drew Brees, who had uh, the same exact surgery uh, I expect Taylor to have and came back quickly. Uh, and he has to grip the ball to, to throw it as well as control it. Uh, Taylor only has to be able to hold on to it. How do you view, um, I guess, you referenced ligaments there. This is more ligament and not bone? Yeah. Yeah, this is a sprain. Now, it, the bone can be involved. It's not uncommon for a, basically where the ligament attaches into the bone. There's the metacarpal phalangeal joint. Say that twice. Oh, uh, <laughs> so what a little piece of bone gets pulled out. It's called an avulsion fracture. That's not uncommon, and it doesn't take long to heal. And basically, they drill uh, the piece of ligament right back in there anyway. Will Carroll with us here. Will, we, we laughed earlier on the show. We love having you on, but we also hate having you on. You understand that, yeah, right? Reaper. Uh, yeah. yeah I get it. <laughs> you give us great stuff, but, you know, Anthony Richardson. An intelligent Grim yeah, Reaper. Yes. I mean, let's, uh, let's be fair. It needs to be said. You are an intelligent Grim Highly Reaper. But still a Grim Reaper, uh, nonetheless. <laughs> Will Carroll with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, so you think two to th- two, two weeks, definitely, but two to three weeks, uh, a little aggressive. You think more of four weeks? I mean, there's no way to know, but what do you think? Yeah, you know, I keep going back to Mike Trout and Chris Paul. That was a couple of years ago. We've gotten more aggressive with the rehab. We understand it better, and we're just willing to go a little bit quicker. I was comparing it to Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers had the tightrope uh, in his Achilles. He's using very, very aggressive, very scientific uh, odd for him, uh, rehab techniques. He's using blood flow restriction. He's using this thing called a neuro 20 smart suit that like you guys have all seen electrical stimulation that they'll put on muscles after a muscle strain. This actually stimulates muscles in a, what it's called a scientific dynamic matrix. So if you take a step or you're making one activity, it like fires muscles on the other side. I don't fully understand it, but I think it's cool. Uh, you know, so Rogers is doing all these things and being very aggressive. 
and is willing to take a risk. The thing I'm curious about with Taylor is how much do you risk on it? I know they're in playoff position, but if Zach Moss is playing as well, do you give him that extra week? How much risk is there? Well, he could tear it again. So you go and do the same surgery again, and he's ready for the next season. So how much pain is Taylor willing to take on the downside? What will, um, and again, Will Carroll, the injury expert, uh, under the knife on Substack, that's where you can find his work. Uh, he's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. What will tell the Colts that Taylor is good to go? Is it simply, hey, man, can you withstand catching passes, handling some contact? Is there like, okay, we have to look at an x-ray, and that indicates, you know, the ligament is 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 good? What, what, what will kind of be the evidence that say, all right, he can be back in the lineup? I can remember a couple of years ago at a conference talking to Steve Shin about this kind of operation. Uh, and how much it was going to advance things. And I think he was even conservative on it. But I said, what's really the test for this? Is it grip? Is it you know, being able to have the same grip strength as the other side? He goes, no, nah, it's just a handshake usually. <laughs> Gosh. Just a handshake. Just a firm presidential handshake. I, and then, I like that. And then, who, who has Dr. Shin worked on besides? I don't know if I want to be the person shaking Jonathan Taylor's <laughs> hand. to, to, to That sounds like a lot of responsibility. Yeah, who does that? It has to be Ballard or Steichen, I would well, imagine. Steichen has did to do that. Have to hold Ursay's hand in the locker room. I, I'm <laughs> thinking it'll be the team doctor. But, you know, the Colts have had better uh, results. Uh, again, it, Mike, the ones uh, I go to are Mike Trout and Chris Paul because they're the best known. Drew Brees also... Uh, so those are the kind of kind of things we've seen. But remember, we've seen leaps and bounds advances in the last two years. So using things from 2019, like Breeze, mm. aren't the best comparison because we've made so many advances right. since then. Will Carroll with us. All right, Will, I'm doing this. This has nothing to do with Jonathan Taylor, but I'm just interested. I think Aaron Rodgers... I think they did all this BS to try to get the Jets to not implode. What the hell do you think is going on with Aaron Rodgers, who pretty much yesterday backed off playing? What do you think What do you think happened here over the last few weeks? I just want your opinion on it. I mean, did he tear his Achilles? Did he not? What's going on there? It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah he, de- he definitely tore it. Uh, you know, Neil Elitrosh, uh, who worked with Steve Shin, uh, so, so, you know, one was in one uh, operating room, one was in the other. Um it's one of those situations where, again, because of the advances we've seen, if you told me Brock Bowers was going to come back in 30 days, right. in six weeks from this, I would be like, wow, that's kind of aggressive. 26 days and playing high level in a game, he looks great. Uh, Rogers had a surgery, again, that's relatively new, the advances, and he was willing. Look, if you or I have a surgery, then we go to PT, what, two, three times a week? This guy's doing it basically eight 10 hours a day. Uh, again, he's using really advanced techniques like blood flow restriction uh, that allow people to do things much quicker. Uh, you get strength gains like double the rate. So I still haven't seen him do things. We've seen, we've seen him walk out on the field. We've seen him throwing, but we haven't seen something that actually stresses the, uh, the, the, the Achilles itself. Uh, I tweeted at Pat McAfee the other day. I was like, just to have Aaron Rodgers jump once. If we could see that, we'd know how well he was doing. Um, but did he tear his Achilles? Absolutely. Are we going to see other people on this same timeline? Absolutely. Again, there's not a ton of downside for him. I just don't understand why he would want to do it with that line. Uh, you know, I'm not so much worried about his Achilles. He's basically got a big piece of Kevlar holding it together. I'm worried about his head and his neck and his 
you know, ribs and everything else behind that line. Hmm. All right, well, last one, and going back to the Colts, Anthony Richardson now a little over a month removed from his shoulder surgery, as you <laughs> mentioned, in L.A., Neil Elitraj yeah. doing it. Uh, he has now left L.A., began his rehab there. We saw him on the sideline Sunday, you know, a, a pretty mm-hmm. big sling still on that right arm, right shoulder area. What does, you know, whatever, four to six weeks post-surgery look like for Richardson rehab-wise, and what is upcoming for him? It's, it's not going to be a short one, but again, this is the same sort of technique. You know, Elitrash used uh, two brand new, yeah, not brand new techniques, uh, but you know, 10 years ago, this would have been a career ender for him. You could not repair a severe AC and CC sprain like this. Uh, but now, again, using tightrope, they were able to put it together. They used a, a screw called a dog bone, uh, again, same company, Arthrex, that developed it, and they put his shoulder back together. And then he spent four weeks. And this is the part that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, that, you know, Neil Elitrash does amazing surgery. Stephen Shin does an amazing surgery. Uh, both uh, of them are likely to see Heather Milligan, who is one of the top PTs in the country and works with most of Neil Elitrash's patients. So the work she did in those first couple weeks uh, are absolutely amazing. And people probably know Heather better because one of his patients, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, they've been dating for like 10 years. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's a nice little tidbit. How about that? <laughs> that no sounds idea. very Hollywood-like. It does. Will. How about that? That's great. Stuff. Uh, uh, Will, can I thank you enough? Again, uh, very intelligent, grim reaper. That's what we're going to describe. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. All right, thank you to Will Carroll for that. Um, now let's get into Twitter questions. Hope you guys enjoyed that or at least found it a little bit more educational than what uh, I could provide. We'll get into the Titans here on the tail end of this, but now we'll do some Twitter questions. This is from Austin. Sad to see Frank Reich already fired, seeing as he wanted C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young, and he never got a fair shot at developing a rookie QB here in Indy. Love Reich as a human and thought he didn't get a fair shot. Yeah, David Tepper sounds crazy. Um you know, I think at times you get these owners that they think kind of the business world that they come from should apply to the NFL, and it's just it's just not true. Um, and there's got to be a little bit of element of patience. I'm not saying a Reich would have won three Super Bowls or something, but I, I'm stunned that they made that move so quickly. But again, looking deeper into Tepper, this is kind of who he is. <laughs> the MLS franchise he owns down there, he's fired a bunch of coaches already, and they've barely been in existence as well. Um but to your point, yeah, I mean, Reich is so obsessed with accuracy. I, I just, I always thought Stroud would make a whole lot of sense for him. And, you know, I, I often hear this narrative with Frank and what happened here in India of, oh, he got fired because, he, you know, he hitched his wagons to Carson Wentz and we saw how it worked. I, I, I think that's a false narrative. Um, you know, Chris Bauer did not want Matthew Stafford. And if you go back to that 2021 offseason, you know, that was, I think, the prevailing thought around the NFL. You know, Stafford is on one tier, Wentz is on the next. Those are the two guys that are on the market. Obviously, the trade compensation is going to be different for each of them, but how willing are you to, you know, make that that sort of move? And of course, the Colts, you know, coming off the 2020 season, uh, you know, Rivers does retire. Obviously, the conflict there of, you know, did the Colts say they're going to evaluate other QBs? You know, would Rivers have come back? I, I think there's a little bit more debate there. 
on that. But, um, you know, Ballard wanted, wanted Stafford. And when, you know, whatever they thought, or excuse me, Ballard did not want Stafford. And when either the asking price they felt like was too high or, again, you know, based off NFC North history with him that, you know, Ballard wanted to move in a different direction, that's where you do, you know, get into the Wentz thing. And I think it's always been labeled that, no, 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 Frank wanted Carson and was begging for him. And I don't think that's the full, full story on that end. But, um, you know, Frank is such a religious human being. I'd love to see him try to combine a little bit of religion, a little bit of sports. I think that's there. I think it's there in the game of football. It's not for everybody, but I do think players, uh, many players, um, you know, have a, a heavy, heavy faith based and obviously love sports and love the game of football. And I'd like to see if Frank could kind of combine both of that and do that here in his uh, next chapter professionally of life. And, you know, probably stay in that area, you know, his daughters down there, grandkids, et cetera, et cetera. All right. This from Colton uh, with how good the Colts are this season. Um, I think it'd be foolish if they don't go all in for the next few years while Anthony Richardson is under contract. We have the cap space and are only a few pieces away. If we can just draft a receiver in the first round this year and sign a 10 to 13 sack pass rusher this offseason, I think we can make a very strong push. Well, good luck finding a dozen sack guy on the open market, um, let alone have the competition that just says, oh, yeah, go uh, go right there to, uh, to Indy. You know, I think I've said this before about Richardson. I do think there's potential to get the earlier returns. I do. And, you know, when you hear Will Carroll describe the injury and, like, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been a season or a career ender. It's just kind of crazy that that I find myself not even worrying too much about the shoulder, I guess. But, again, I'm I'm not. Maybe modern medicine has you know taught me differently, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at with Richardson and the shoulder. You know, I still think overall, and Sunday's a great example of, I'm reminded in this week, you hear Will Levis at the podium talk about, you know, the interest the Colts had in him during the draft process. You hear Shane Steichen discuss it. It's like, damn, like this sucks that Anthony Richardson's not out there. Like this is supposed to be him getting the taste of December football. Having to string together, you know, Levis is, he's in the thick of it right now. And it's been very inconsistent for him. But, you know, five straight games for Levis or whatever the number is, um, you know, that's huge. But, you know, I do think you can get earlier returns with Richardson. And I think I said that kind of exiting his season officially being over. But I think it's also fair to say, like, the AFC South is no longer a laughingstock. The ske- I mean, the schedule is going to be a bit tougher. Now, you aren't going to finish fourth in your division. You aren't going to play the NFC South. So I, I think those are some things to keep in mind. And it's interesting on kind of the, do you try to go all in on the rookie contract? I think you can kind of marry the be aggressive don't go full Ryan Grigson. I think Grigson has some regret over 2013 and that free agency. You know, that was right after Luck's first season. Obviously, the trade for Richardson. And then 2015, and again, really before paying Luck big, big money, they did the same thing. I I think you still, I mean, I don't think this, I know this. You still have to draft well. I mean, that, like, that is paramount. You're going to have to have hits in the draft if you're going to sustain anything. Uh, from a longevity standpoint. And, and again, I, I probably am a little bit more pass rusher first. Um, we'll obviously see, see how it plays out. Um, you know, I, I would have both that and wide out on the same tier, but early on, that's where I kind of sit. All right, this from Andy. Excited to be sitting at 6-5. and five. Gus Bradley's defense has done just enough to keep us in those games. However, I feel like Bradley's scheme has its limitations. 
Even if we had a top five offense, I'd be worried that the other top tier offenses would have their way with us. Flashback to the Chiefs playoff game at Arrowhead in 18. I'm definitely thinking ahead, but at what point do we realize that Bradley's scheme has a ceiling that we desperately need to be above if we're going to compete with the top tier teams in future years? Do you see the Colts riding with Bradley for the foreseeable future? It's a great question. Um, I think it's a fair question to be asked, Andy. Um, I think you should have those expectations. You do need to be at a championship level. And I mean, the Colts defense has played better over the last few weeks. But, you know, when you look at Tampa, they've won one game in the last two months. New England's won one game in the last two months. Carolina's won one game in the last two months. Like, you've played some offenses. Tampa probably doesn't deserve to be in the other two's category, but just overall as a team, there's reasons why the futures of all these coaches, and Frank Reich's case has already been decided, or in Bill Belichick's case and Todd Bowles' case, very much um, up in the air. So, um, I've always been a... I want to see a defense dictate more. I want to match Shane Steichen's aggression on that side of the ball, too. And I don't think Gus is there. Now, again, I think they've done some things differently with the struggles in the secondary. Um, But still, I I don't think there's enough of a week-in, week-out, let's do some outside-of-the-box things that are very opponent-specific. And so I am curious to see that. I I assume – I shouldn't say assume. I – I guess they will stick with Bradley, but, you know, we just don't know. I mean, Shane is, you know, if you're going to preach that accountability measure, um, are you, are you you know, willing to do some things? And does Chris Bauer give Shane that authority to do those things? It's something that I would look into. We'll see. Um, okay, Eric says this. Um, it may be difficult for you to speak on, but as a physical therapist with an outside view, I can't overlook what seems to be medical mismanagement, if not negligence, with the Colts' past and current injuries. Shaquille Leonard's most of all. Uh, it is common for back injuries to refer down the leg, and if he had unnecessary calf ankle surgery uh, due to nerve involvement at the back, that simply is inexcusable. Yeah, Leonard did have that back, or that ankle surgery right before the 2021 season. Not to mention the needing two surgeries on his back. With that mentioned, I don't follow other teams as much, but do you believe there's a significant difference with injury care and outlook on the Colts versus around the league? You know, full transparency, Eric, I don't know would be the simple answer. I, I just don't study other teams from a medical standpoint that in-depthly to know mismanagement. Obviously, the luck thing was really difficult to, di- to diagnose. I mean, a calf injury, I, I know it was much more, but like a calf injury, you know, theoretically should not be career-ending. And, you know, could you have, uh, you know, I've always said this about luck. And again, this is not just on the Colts medical team by any means. This is a, you know, multi, many hats making this decision. But him not having surgery after the 2015, I thought was a huge mistake. And I know hindsight's really 2020, but you're just rehabbing and rehabbing and it's going to linger and it's going to linger and you're going to take more hits. And that's why I think, honestly, a big reason why Richardson got surgery this time around with it. Um, now the Colts have routinely been ranked pretty high up there in games missed. I don't think – I know this year it might seem that way. I don't think they'll be that high on the list. I mean, I, I'm just strictly going off the inactive list. And I know, obviously, they've had big injuries. You know, Taylor missing some games, Richardson's situation, O-line's been a little banged up, obviously corner. But for the most part, the inactive list each week has like two to three injured guys. I mean, you know, when they play Baltimore in week three, Baltimore had all seven out. All seven of their inactives were known on Friday, and that's in week three, you know? So um, th- th- this is a tough one for me to kind of give an educated, educated answer on. 
I did fail to mention Monday, and apologies for that. I, I really failed to acknowledge what Ronnie Harrison did in that game. Ronnie Harrison Jr., we, we had him on our show on Monday. And just how movie scene-like it was to see the Shaq Leonard tribute video, and all of a sudden, a handful of plays later, Ronnie Harrison Jr. makes the play that honestly, and this might sound harsh, but to me it's just the reality of it, that Shaq wasn't making, and it looked so vintage Leonard-like, making that play, dropping back into coverage, extending the body, looking like a defensive back, and, you know, credit to the Colts for seeing something in Harrison and being um, exploratory with him and saying, hey, you know, you are a safety, but what do you think about a little linebacker action? And the NFL's changed a little bit since even he was drafted, Um, and... It makes sense. Obviously, you know, as a third linebacker, life against Derrick Henry will be different than, you know, playing a little bit more in base and potentially in coverage. But it's a great story. I encourage people out there to check out. Again, we had Harrison on our show on Monday. I thought he was great. And um, we'll see how they operate against Derrick Henry, you know, with obviously a little bit of a different feeling from a run game standpoint. This is from Jay. The staff keeps saying they need to find ways to play Nick Cross. Why not start him at free safety? The staff has said they've trained him at both safety positions and nickel. Yeah, you know, the, and you know, Gus Bradley's mentioned Rodney Thomas has been a little bit more inconsistent. I, I viewed Cross as more strong safety than anything. Um, now, obviously, Blackman has history playing back there. I don't know if you want to really change up that that much. I thought Cross for this third linebacker role. That was something I mentioned last week. And obviously, Harrison Jr. kind of fills that. But, um, yeah, just two snaps for Nick Cross on Tuesday. Um, boy, don't you feel like Julian Blackman's a, a re-sign guy? It just feels that way. And we'll, we'll have this conversation for the next few months. There are a lot. I mean, there was a handful of guys that are going to garner legit markets out there. Free agents for the Colts in-house. And I have not said that many times in free agency. Joe goes, I can't get myself to root to lose in pursuit of a higher draft pick, but I can't help but think, man, the more we win, the higher the expectations for Anthony Richardson are going to be in 2024. I just hope the Colts fans give him the same grace we gave him in the 2023 season as uh, we are going into 2024. Outside of the draft implications, do you think it's better for AR to come into a 2024 season with a playoff team and higher expectations or have them miss the playoffs? Ask another way. Do you think Anthony Richardson is selfishly disappointed that the Colts keep winning? I would say heavy no to that last one. I think he's a 21-year-old kid that strikes me as one that loves to play football and play the game. So I, I would say no and probably hope no. I don't think as a competitor you want to shy away from grander expectations. But, again, there's so many layers to AR missing time. And, and I said a little bit earlier, I mean, he's missing the December football. He's missing the playoff standings. He's missing the – bouncing back from week to week, seeing how teams react to you on film, dealing with injuries around you. Um, You know, look what Baker Mayfield got with 225 to go in the game on Sunday. I mean, those moments uh, would be just so damn valuable uh, to Richardson. Uh, And if you look at the Florida season, I mean, sure, there's SEC hype and there's SEC buildup, but still, it's not professional football. It's just different. The the weekend and week out grind is different. And at Florida, when you go 6-6, and Uh, It is different. Um, The one thing I will say is, again, that poise factor did really, really impress me. I still think it's impossible to fully script, you know, what these games are going to mean and feel like for the Colts down the stretch. But still, the fact that I don't think Richardson has this deer in headlights look 
I think is huge. You know, expectations, I, I, I understand where the question's coming from, but, and, and I, I would make it more for the argument of just the higher draft pick could lead to a better player than like, oh boy, too much weight on his shoulder too, too early with it. And he might not be able to handle that. I mean, certainly the Colts, you would think, would fall into the national spotlight a few more times. Uh, I think they play the AFC East next year, if I'm not mistaken. And I want to say Buffalo and Miami are both at home. So, I mean, Josh Allen and Tua playing at home. Uh, Like I said, you aren't going to finish fourth in your division, so you're going to have a tougher schedule that way. So, I understand where you're coming from, Joe. Um, I'm not going to go there on Richardson mentally, though. I don't think it's necessarily there. I guess it gets back to kind of the you know chips in the middle of the table um, earlier with that. I still think the Colts will be very patient with this process with Richardson, and uh, now it's time to continue the support and the development. Craig goes, it's great to see the culture in the playoff hunt going into December. Seems Ballard's plan to focus on the trenches is paying off. Going in the home stretch with the playoff berth on the line, which position is a bigger liability? QB and Minshew or Daryl Baker Jr. in the D-backs? I worry about both. I have such high hopes for 2024 with a healthy Richardson, Taylor, and Steichen calling the plays. Thanks again for the pod. Craig, thank you for the question. Uh, This, to me, is of little debate. It's Gardner Minshew. That's the question. You know, you can cover up your secondary. You can cover it up with a better pass rush. You can cover it up with more bodies contributing to being in coverage, you can't hide your quarterback. You can't. Nope. Touch the ball and every play. You can't hide him. And, I mean, look at the quarterbacks you play. I mean, literally, Baker was the best until C.J. Stroud. So I think that kind of plays into it a little bit more. Um, okay, this one from Kevin here. Do you think the Colts regret not trading Jonathan Taylor to Miami with Devin A-Chain, how he is playing uh, mid-round pick, and A-Chain isn't looking too bad right now from your burner account. Well, yeah, that probably would create something a little different than Kevin. Was that really the rumor? I thought the rumor was a conditional first, uh, if not a second, with Miami. Boy, that's a lot for Miami to give up. A-Chain was like a third-round pick. Yeah. I don't uh, I, I don't. Yeah, I would say no. I think Miami's pretty content with how things have gone so far. I know Colts. Why I void that? Um, I might do that if I were the Colts. <laughs> I might. Um, all right, Tyler. Last one. Uh, evaluation on Will Fries at right guard this far as he solidified his place as a starter, or the Colts need to adjust him for agency or the draft. You know, big credit to Chris Ballard. I mean, I was skeptical of the all O line depth. Not providing, you know, really any competition for Fries at right guard. But, you know, when you think about it, and I also think Shane Steichen deserves a lot of credit for this, quarterback play in general, Tony Sperano Jr. I mean, there's a couple of other layers too. But, I mean, the personnel has righted the ship here on the offensive line. And that's with Ryan Kelly missing three games. That's with Braden Smith, you know, missing three or four. I look at Fries as kind of a nice fourth or fifth guy. You know, nothing more, nothing less. It's important. He's obviously has been durable, which is key as well. But that's how I would view Fries right now. I mean, I still think at different points in the offseason you need to. I know none of your O-linemen are free agents, right? I'm pretty sure. Uh, at least none of the meaningful ones are. But I, I think that's always something that, you know, drafting one in the middle-ish rounds, probably particularly an interior guy, you know, especially maybe at center. You know, I guess Danny Pinter's a free agent. You know, Ryan Kelly's getting up there in age. That's probably where I would go. 
All right, Colts and Titans coming up on Sunday. Matt Ryan in studio, or I should say in the booth. Line has shrunk two and a half to one. Last I checked, I would assume that that is related to the Johnson Taylor news item. You know, I I don't think Tennessee is obviously great. You could make the argument, are they good? I do think you're going up a tier in competition from where you've been at. And I would even say that about Tennessee, uh, or excuse me, about Tampa. You know, Tampa, what, you know, lost six of seven or five of six, something like that. New England, obviously. Carolina, obviously. And Tennessee at home. I mean, it's stunning. They are 4-0 and at home and 0-7 and elsewhere. Um, now, you go back to that first meeting, and I mean, you ended the streak, and they had won five in a row against you by kind of giving them a dose of their own medicine. I mean, you bullied them. You bullied them. Especially in the fourth quarter, you got the big fourth and one stop as it looked like they were getting ready to take the lead. Zaire Franklin and Buckner, great play on Henry. And then you churned out that long kind of seven, eight-minute drive. I think it was like a 14-play drive to really ice it. Some big third-down conversions on that drive. Tennessee was a little penalty happy. Uh, But the big storyline was you had over 190 rushing yards. Moss had the big day. We talked about the Moss run earlier. And Derrick Henry was shut down. Uh, 3.3 per carry for Henry. Now, personnel is a huge deal from week five to now. They don't have Tannehill. They've got Levis. I think that's a downgrade based off the Levis we've seen here as of late. DeAndre Hopkins had a big game in week four, or excuse me, week five. He's really not done much with Levis, at least nowhere near what he did against the Colts back in week five. Obviously, the Colts don't have Richardson. Minshew played you know, a good chunk of that game. Still, Minshew is a starter is a little different. You know, Grover played in that game against Derrick Henry. You shut him down. Obviously, this is Grover's last game out. Bernard Ryman didn't play in that game. He's now back. Uh, to hear Tart, kind of their version of Grover. I don't think he's at that level, but he's a good run defender. He is now playing. He did not play in that first matchup. So you could kind of look at a lot of different personnel from that first game. Again, Jonathan Taylor still very – that was his debut – of course, Taylor not going to be playing in this one. I think it's vital that you obviously make Levis look like a rookie. Make him be in those kind of ra- you know frazzled, I didn't see this on film sort of moments, get behind the chains, et cetera, et cetera. I've gone back and forth on this one for me and how I view it. You know, the Colts are going for their fourth win in a row. You got to go back to 2018, the end of that 2018 season when they got on that run. Last time the Colts have won four in a row. So, again, I've gone back and forth. Uh, I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with Tennessee, 1916. Um, I just think you've played with fire without Grover, and I just think it catches up to you. And every time I think Henry's dead, he just has some sort of resurrection uh, with that. Um, again, I could easily see this going the other way, but I'm going to go Tennessee, 1916 in this one. All right, we'll recap it all next week again in Cincinnati for the Colts. We'll be back in studio on Monday. Everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday.